Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash new music industry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today I'm chatting with CEO of Streaming Promotions, Michael Sloan. How are you today, Michael? Doing great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for asking. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about your background in digital strategy and e-commerce optimization. What did you learn from your work and how has that influenced your direction since? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I really started um, my pursuit of the music industry in 1996, uh, came to Belmont University Initially, uh, with the thoughts of being perhaps an artist, uh, which was thwarted very quickly, um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then decided it would be uh, maybe better use of my talents to work on the business side. Um, really thought I was going to get an A and R and the publishing side of things. Uh, got freaked out, left Nashville, uh, got a degree in finance from the University of Kentucky. Uh, worked in banking as a loan analyst for three years uh, prior to coming back and uh, getting my MBA at Belmont and uh, getting some jobs in publishing only to get fired. Um, and then <laughs> realized that I was better uh, more on the technology side, which fortunately for me is really where the industry uh, has gone. So um, <clears throat> first job was with a company called Echo Music, um, which was an early web development and fan club company uh, back when the only portal to an artist was really their website. Um, we grew from '96 when we <laughs> when we ended, uh, got acquired by Ticketmaster. Um, that wasn't a very good fit uh, personality-wise uh, for the team. Uh, the, the executive the executive team there didn't really jive too well with uh, with corporate leadership. So uh, I got a job over at Live Nation, which had just uh, launched um, Live Nation Artist Group and 360 deals. Um, got to work with uh, some pretty notable artists there, Kenny Chesney, Zach Brown Band, uh, Cheech and Chong, the Gaither Vocal Band. Uh, <laughs> also had, um, I mean, on our roster, we also had ACDC and the Stones and, and some other really large artists. But in that 360 deal, I was really able to see the ins and outs of, and the workings of the industry and, and how things were changing and monetization of um, you know, real core artists or real core, or real, real core fans there with, um, you know, what's a, what's a dedicated fan willing to spend on a Rolling Stones coffee table book if they know there's only 500 of them, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and still got to see the ticketing side of things as well. So, um, Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged, uh, and all those companies went away. Uh, I started my own firm, uh, called Strategic Blend in 2000 and I guess that was 2009. Um, and just began to, you know, experiment in social media, which was kind of new at the time. I remember for a while we were actually optimizing MySpace pages, um, but still building websites um, and then just figuring out how best to uh, market to fans uh, digitally there. Um, for about, I was there for about three years uh, and then sold my interest to my business partner uh, when I got an opportunity to go work with a little artist named Taylor Swift. Um, mm -hmm. And so I joined her digital team um, and really ran all digital projects. So a lot of the, a lot of the e-commerce pieces there were um, trying to integrate with Amazon very early days of, you know, get direct to fan um, 
shipments there, uh, really build her entire e-commerce presence um, on Amazon retail space. Uh, and it went really well. Um, from that, I, I flipped over to the, to the label side, uh, to Big Machine Label Group. Um, they had, obviously, Taylor, but also Florida Georgia Line was breaking at the time, Thomas Rhett. Um, they had Tim McGraw and, uh, let's see, Rascal Flats were some other large artists. We had 13 artists when I started and 36 uh, when I departed. And I really departed over um, my vision of where consumption services were going. Uh, 1989 had been released um, by Taylor and uh, the CEO of the label. Pulled all of her music off of the streaming services. Um in an attempt to sell more records that worked perfectly um mm. he also pulled the music off uh, off of the streaming services for brantley gilbert and justin moore um who i thought both needed exposure so i'm not sure if you're familiar with either of those, either of those artists but i thought they still needed to be able you know to be seen and, and discovered by you know fans that were that were new to, to those artists um I thought that Spotify was the future of the industry as far as, you know, the way artists will ultimately distribute their music, but also get paid from, uh, those master recordings mm. and, and really, uh, just kind of pulled a suicide by cop. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. Okay, cool. You're fired. I know I'm packing my stuff. Um, so, <laughs> so I was able to, um, you know, kind of parlay that into some conversations with Spotify. I think they appreciated my bravado. Um, and I was able to have some conversations with them early. Um, when uh, Ken Parks was still running uh, Spotify North America, Steve Savoco was there, uh, kind of run all um, artist, I guess, artist services, or I guess he's the head of music technically. Um, and we learned kind of the ins and outs of how things were working. Um, streaming promotions for the longest time was really more of a, a side hustle for, for me. Um, I was managing some artists and still doing digital strategy with, with other artists and, and, some, and some brands. Um, but I met a guy named Charles Alexander who had not only found a way into the Spotify curated playlists, um, but it also found ways into these user-generated playlists uh, that had some traction on the platform um, and was working and managing a couple of artists. Uh, and I said, man, we can do this for a lot of people. I think there's definitely a need there. Mm-hmm. And really just worked with him to help start to build out what now is streaming promotions. Um, Charles left in August. Um, I bought him out at that time. And since then, we've just really focused in I guess for about the last year and a half on these user gener- user generated playlists, uh, you know how we're best trying to trigger the algorithms of Discover Weekly, Release Radar, um, Daily Moods. Uh, Spotify has mentioned they're going to release as many as another 200 to 250 algorithmic lists this year. So we're just trying to position ourselves as best we can to uh, take advantage of you know these algorithms, but also the playlists on the platform that that are created by users that just have lots of traction uh, and can help us. Really trigger the mathematical equations that um, that they get us, they get our our clients in front of in front of an audience. Hmm. That's a long way to go to tell you how I got here, but all <laughs> that to say, um, it's been a crazy fifteen years. No kidding. No, thank you for sharing that. I think there's quite a bit of relatability to what you said. Like I started my life mainly interested in visual art. And that transitioned into music. And then eventually I found my passion in, in business and writing, which is kind of where I'm at now. But they, they sort of overlapped in a way, and I'm still in music. But I do so little visual art at this point. I don't have a lot of time for that. So you know, Creative creative pursuits are weird that way. Um, I mean, I, I went totally left brain for a while and just did you know the finance thing. But uh, I was still going to shows every weekend and trying to find <laughs> – 
trying to find my way onto a stage or uh, somewhere into the hearts of someone that would let me help them out. So, yeah, totally. So, I mean, there's so many paths we could go down based on what you just said, but I think this is something that I must cover because it's something my audience is, I'm surely wondering. There are many musicians out there that wish they could go back to the days of digital downloads because of how little revenue streaming tends to generate for them. So what opportunities are they missing and what are your thoughts on what's happening in the world of streaming right now? Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, that the industry was so long predicated on the idea that you would you know, it was a monetary transaction. I gave you 99 cents and I got a download or I gave you $15 and I got a record. Um, you know, the mechanicals of all that worked very well because the, the monetary breakdowns were, were pretty straightforward. Um, I look at streaming as, as an annuity, right? Like it's a, it's a long-term payout. So if you've got a hit, you know, you're, you're set for a long time. Um, as opposed to the olden days where, if I had a hit, it was purchased. Um, there was a monetary breakdown on the back end of that of whatever the, the, the value of the master recording was, and that was it. So um, you really kind of ping that that transaction early on, as opposed to with streaming and consumption, you're able to do it for for, for a long tail. So I, I, I teach a class at Belmont, and I often say, like, if you told me that I could buy the Beatles catalog for $250 million 10 years ago, I would have told you to go fly a kite. But if you told me I could buy it for a billion dollars today, I'd probably do it. Um, because it's going to be, you know, month over month, you know, that those streams are going to happen. So transactionally, that's again, it it is predicated on having a hit, but if you have that hit and you have an audience and you have somebody that's going to go back to those tracks time and time and time again, you know, it's mailbox money, um, where back in the olden days, you know, after your album had run its course, that was, that was the extent, um, that was the extent of that money. That's the reason publishing was such a big deal because you had radio airplay that continued to pay off. But, um, Streaming being somewhere a blend between you know, radio and 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 purchase, um, and they're being payoff on every play. Uh, I think it's a good spot. Now the issue is that there's such a lower barrier to entry uh, to the marketplace. You know, there used to be a huge week uh, in in the recorded industry space ten years ago was 250 records in a week, and that would be somewhere around typically Black Friday. And now we're in, in, in an environment where there's 20,000 tracks that are uploaded to DSPs every day. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot more noise and, and really, you know, that's kind of why I see there being such an, such a need for something like streaming promotions because we're in a place where we're really trying to grow audience organically and naturally. Um, but you're just in competition with so many additional tracks. Yeah. Music distribution is definitely not a problem anymore. It's kind of certainly not. Yeah. I mean, you used to choose your deal based on what, you know, what label had the best relationships with, with the distributors. Could I, can I get an end cap at, you know, Sam Goody's or, um, you know, tower records and and what label is going to leverage me the best opportunity to have those. And now we're all worried about how can I get on, you know, new music Friday or, uh, today's top hits. And, and, and that shelf space is limited too, but there's just so much more music out there and available and getting to Spotify curators, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, is just more difficult than it ever has been. So there's no way they can listen to 20,000 tracks a day. I think definitely one of the opportunities I see is sort of like what you said with mailbox money is that passive revenue stream. So that's sure. certainly appealing to musicians, but I'd imagine too, that, you know, if you got enough streams and enough attention that you could also get booked for better shows and get yeah, better absolutely. opportunities, right? Yeah. Our goal with, with streaming promotions, in fact, and the onboarding of every client or even prior to taking a client on, one of my first questions is what are your goals? And if your goals are to see a million streams next to the, the track the title track of your song, um, 
we're, we're not your, we're, we're not the fit. You know, there's, there's a, a lot of ways that you can, you know, somewhat illegally trump up and, and make things look mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. What's the what are you, are you trying to grow an audience? Uh, is it to get a publishing deal? Is it, is it to get a label deal? Are you trying to get an agent? Are you trying to get on a better tour? Are you trying to grow a true audience and fans? I mean, there's just so many different ways, you know, that you can monetize your career that have something to do with streaming, but don't have the, it's not it's not the sole focus. So we're we're really big on you know what what are your goals here? What are we trying to accomplish? Where do you see your career going? And how can we leverage streaming to be the conduit to your audience? And you've certainly hinted at a few different things here, but I'm sure listeners would love to know how do you help artists specifically get their music heard by more people? Yeah, I mean, so our our campaigns are pretty straightforward. Um, it's really easy first to tell you what we are not. <laughs> um, you know, we're we're not going to pay to get your songs placed on playlists. Uh, we are not going to pay for bots to just trump up a bunch of numbers uh, next to your song title and get stream counts for the sake of stream counts. Um, we aren't uh, working with anyone that's. Um, you know, doing paid collaborative or paid consulting or, you know, we're, I mean, truly are as honest as we can going out to people who are fans of music, um, who are curating playlists that have a large, not just follower count, but a large active fan base, um, to that, to that playlist that are generating streams. Um, and so our goal there is to up your monthly listener number, um, and we see the monthly listener number as kind of the holy grail number. I'm not worried about a million streams, but if you've got a hundred thousand monthly listeners, uh, that's a, that's an impressive number. Uh, and if you can show that it's, the trajectory is going upward, um, it will trigger the algorithms. So our goal really is to grow your monthly listener count, uh, and trigger the algorithms. Um, and the algorithms are, are just buckets of content that are going to individualized users, um, you know, based on their listening habits. So I want, in an ideal campaign, I want the Discover Weekly playlist to, to one, if it hasn't picked you up, to pick you up, um, to put you in a good place for release radar on the next, next release of your music, to start showing up in some of the daily mood lists. Um, and I want to see growth on all those things because those are things that you, you can't buy, you couldn't, even if you wanted to, couldn't buy your way into. Um, and it's what's going to grow audience of people that have, that enjoy that type of music and like, like-minded music. So, um, our goals really are to try to get, you know, on a, on a three month campaign, we're hoping to get 12 to 15 ads on user generated playlists that will trigger the algorithms, um, which will hopefully continue to grow your audience base. I often say (laughs) that, uh, we get left at the starting line, so (laughs) we'll work campaign for three months. Things will start to get traction and, uh, and we're like, all right, well, we'll set you adrift, and and off they go, and uh, and all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, month over month, twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent gains in Discover Weekly uh, adoption. So uh, that's wonderful. I, I love those stories. I would love to obviously stay on and, and, and be there at the finish line, whatever that looks like. But uh, we're happy to be there from the from the ground floor and just start to get the momentum going. Um, we also come on with larger artists and major label artists that have a lot of traction that realize that they aren't doing anything in the user generated uh, playlist space and just need some help. Uh, we also deal with things that have been on release radar for two or three weeks. They know that it's going to come off. They know that the Spotify is going to eventually pull their tracks from those uh, Spotify lists. And, uh, and, and we need to be there to help cushion the fall uh, so that they don't lose uh, a, a much on the, uh, on the monthly listener 
account. So, oh, I should also mention, we don't pitch to Spotify curated playlists. Um, mm-hmm. With the adoption of the um, of the artist portal and being able to submit direct to Spotify, um, it's just not worth it. So uh, we have relationships with those people. I know those people, but I'm not going to hit them up on behalf of our clients. It's just, again, 20,000 tracks a day. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I heard someone, someone once say that Allie Hagendorf got a thousand emails in an hour while someone was at lunch with her. So, um, we are just part of the noise <laughs> in mm-hmm. that scenario. They would much rather hear from artists and people that someone that has ownership of the master, um, and, and probably from the artist directly or, or management. So we're just, my goal truly is like, how do I get around the gatekeepers and just work with user generated lists and, and, and grow the numbers there? I think it's incredibly refreshing what you just said, the fact that it's not all automated and that there is a human touch to to what you're doing. And to your point about like too many emails, like I get this all the time. I can't actually keep up with my email. Uh, you know, there's the press releases sure. and podcast requests and feature right. requests and it's sort of endless. So I'm I'm working I'm developing a different system around that so it doesn't become that. But like of course if they don't even mention my name in the email or if there's no ask at the end of the email, I pretty much ignore it. <laughs> what what are the what are the actionable items here? All right, I'm moving on. No, I mean it, you know, the inbox overload is certainly a thing for I'm sure everybody in this day and age, but yes. um, certainly with those with those Spotify curators. I mean, I know John Marks personally, and 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 John Butler, who are both here in Nashville, and it's just it's unmanageable. I mean, they can't, you know, it's it's a lot of meetings and a lot of and a lot of drinks and a lot of going out for those guys, um, and they're you know bombarded publicly and, and where, wherever they are. So you know, hey, here's a here's a CD or here's here's a link to my music. Please go listen to it. There's only so many hours of the day, so. Um, and, and if we're looking at those people on the Spotify end as gatekeepers, um, and we have access to these algorithmic lists that are robotically driven, uh, mathematically driven, uh, I would rather trigger those things all day long and not not have to worry about a, a human. It, it's it's back to the old paradigm of radio, right? Like I, <laughs> I don't want to have to worry about a program director that's going to like my music. Is there a way I can grow audience around that person if I don't have a relationship with them? Um, and so we're trying to be the conduit to those other relationships. Yeah, and that ecosystem, I won't say it's gone, but it's its changing very quickly because of the lack of the barriers to entry. You know, submitting your music to music blogs or trying to get onto a podcast, whatever it is these days, it's like it, it there, people are so overloaded with, with that type of request now that it's really challenging for, for musicians to get attention that way. Sure. I mean, it's harder than ever for anybody to get attention in really any medium um, yeah. because, you know, as, as everything, as there's been convergence um, from a technology standpoint, there's just, it's, you're in competition with YouTube and Instagram and social medias and uh, podcasts and, you know, Netflix and what, I mean, there's just so many options of ways that people can, you know, spend their entertainment time. Uh, music being one of those, but you know, music used to kind of be in its own silo. You listened to the radio, or you went and bought a, an album, or you bought something on iTunes. It was at least somewhat insulary. Now, with everything being on your phone 24 hours a day, it's just I was I was watching YouTube, and then I went to Netflix, and then <laughs> mm. I fl- I flipped over to Spotify, and then I swiped around on Instagram for two hours. And so it's it's all kind of converged into how are we spending our entertainment time and. And why would I spend it with you? And, and what are you giving me as a differentiator? And with 20,000 tracks a day, it's hard to be different. Mm. Well said. So who is streaming promotions for? Is it for independent artists? Is it for signed artists? Is it for pretty much anybody? It's really for, I, I, we've tried to build it so that it's, it's flexible to anyone. Um, I would say 
40% of our clients are, you know, signed in some way, shape or form, um, you know, kind of have more of a major label or major indie label kind of feel to them. Um, another 20% are, you know, have a full team and have things going on. And, and I'd say probably, you know, the rest are independent musicians, DIY folks, but they, you know, we always try to work with teams that with people that have teams around them, understand that we are not a, we're not going to be the silver bullet. We're not, we're not, we can't, I can't make you, make you famous. Um, but with us and some press and a social media strategy and some planning, um, and understanding that, you know, it's, it does, it does cost money to, uh, to, to promote your music. Um, with, the, with that understanding, we're in a place, you know, where we can work with a team and come in and be part of a team and, and really be a, uh, I'm a very specific widget in a much more complex machine um, that's become the music industry. So uh, we do one thing. I feel like we do it really well. Um, but, you know, I'm not trying to work Apple Music or YouTube Music or Amazon Music or Pandora. Like we're just working Spotify mm-hmm. and Spotify only trying to grow audience. So if that is a need, we can certainly be there to help service that need, um, hopefully in conjunction with some other folks. Yeah, like having helped some independent musicians with a couple of marketing campaigns, whether it was crowdfunding or getting on the radio or boosting Facebook likes. What I found that is still, if you're well organized and you plan it well, it's totally possible to reach some of your goals, even now, even with all the crazy stuff that's going on. And like you said, all the distraction that's going on. Yeah, as long as you've got, as long as you have some goal in mind and you're, your expectations are, are reasonable and you don't think you're going to become chance the rapper overnight. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, which was, you know, to, to, to a certain extent DIY, but then he also had major label, uh, radio promotion team around it when it, when it, when it got to a certain point. So, um, it can be done. It just has to, you know, your expectation has to be somewhat re- and it's going to take time. So, um, you know, you're not gonna, you're not going to grow from zero to 10 million streams over a weekend. Um, you've got to, you, you've really got to kind of lean into that and what's feeding it and how are you best structured to make it work? Yeah. And that was basically like the same thing as Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, as I understand it, they also had sure. some, some support behind them to make oh, yeah. it happen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a great story. It makes for a wonderful story. It does. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, typically the, the, uh, the, the 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 recording industry is uh, <laughs> great with stories, <laughs> um, but you're not winning Grammys without a team behind you. I assure you. Yeah, I, I mean there is sort of a teaching point to that in that if you're going to do any kind of PR type campaign, you should find an angle. <laughs> you can't right. just say, oh, oh yeah, we're coming with a new album and we're touring. You know, everything about I mean everything's about the story. You know, we even with our our really indie clients that we have on our you know on our end of the clients that we're working with, send us your, what's your story? What's the press? What's, what's, what's happening around you? It doesn't even necessarily have to be a hundred percent true. It could be a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little, a little bit mystical, but give us something to go with because you know, some of these independent curators are just as interested in the story or, you know, so, something to differentiate you as they are the music. So, um, it certainly helps. Yeah. I was just thinking of the author world for a second with uh, James Fry and all the controversy that went around that, but I really don't think that hurt sales any. <laughs> I, I assure you it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, too funny. Kind of turning to a little more of the business side or personal side, what are some of the biggest challenges you've experienced to this point? I mean, it's always a challenge to, you know, I there we had some folks on board um, in the past that, you know, would oversell 
what our capabilities were or there would be miscommunication. Honestly, everything is possible through proper communication as long as we're in a place where, you know, myself or my sales team is properly conveying what our capabilities are and what the expectations should be. Um, you know, we're in a good spot. If, if those, if those wires ever get crossed or if someone ever just doesn't, you know, doesn't hear what we're saying or chooses to hear something else, um, you know, that's, that's always the most difficult part. People are the most difficult. Business is easy. People are difficult. Mm -hmm. No, I totally get that. Client relationships, right? Whether it's invoicing and communicating expectations and setting timelines, totally. That is not the easiest thing. And we're really mindful of, you know, is this person getting it? You know, is there communication back and forth? Are, are you know, are, are they, are they happy? Um, and we're mindful of that, and usually a little bit concerned about anything that goes even slightly sideways. I mean, in this in this industry, it, it's you, you are your reputation. So um, I, w- I want to be known for running a proper shop that's doing things on the up and up, and and not participating in any type of payola and being being honest and being genuine. So, um, Mm -hmm. we try to take on clients that are after the same thing, either themselves or looking for that in fans. And on the other side of that, what have been your greatest victories to this point? Oh man. Like anytime uh, it's little victories. Like we get stoked about little wins, triggering an algorithm for a client that, you know, we've been grinding it out with for two or three months. I mean, that's, those are, those are fun. I mean, Obviously, getting bigger clients um, are certainly exciting, and and I won't name names, but n- name worthy notable artists that you know come to us. And they're like, hey, we understand exactly what you do. That's exactly what we need. Um, you know, mm. let's let's get going. Um, those relationships are, are a lot of fun. One, they're gratifying because typically it's someone that I've known in the industry, or there's a personal relationship there. Um, but yeah, it's the little stuff in the big. I mean, little stuff in big names. I think that's always it. Well, yeah, I think as as a company doing what you're doing, it's always nice to have sort of recommendations, endorsements, testimonials, sure. or even just big artists working with you. That alone can make the difference in sharing your message out to more people. Yeah, getting a deal with a major label or in, you know a major indie label or a band that's on one of those <laughs> is always a big high five in the office. But I mean, at the end of the day, our biggest victories are just like, Hey, we got that artist that we didn't think we were going to be able to get over the line, you know, triggered Discover Weekly, and now they're doing, you know, X number of spins per day or mm-hmm. per week, um, you know, that's growing real organic audience, and people are discovering that artist, and, you know, hopefully that's enough to continue to grind out on their monthly listener number. I like that. Are there any books or resources that have helped you on your journey? Oh, man. Um, now you're dipping into my professorial. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, I love the Tipping Point, um, mm. Malcolm Gladwell. Um, yep. There's a there's a book called Made to Stick um, that's really like why some ideas work and other ideas fail um, that I actually teach on. Um, I've got a textbook that I use for my class, which is outdated. Um, <laughs> no, I I mean I read a lot. I wouldn't say that there's anything that I'm just like that's the thing. Um, I try to just take all of it and put it in the blender and, and try to make sense of of the world around me and especially with the change that has happened in the last five years i think it's really important to read up and get a sense of, I mean, because we're all we're marketing brands at this point i mean that's what it is right we're all trying to create some piece of creative content that we can then brand and build and build not oh tribes is a good one too um that we can build an audience around right how do i 
how do I get get people to be interested in my stuff and not just the one thing, but the next thing that's coming and the three things that are coming after that? And why are they going to come back for more of it? Yeah. I mean, it might even be trite to say it at this point, but we're all information marketers, right? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. It's, you know, it doesn't, I, I often tell my class at Belmont, like it doesn't, you know, I, I appreciate that what you're creating or what you, what you want to create is art, but it doesn't matter if it's art or a, a tube of toothpaste. Like at some point you've got to build audience around it and, and have somebody want it and go purchase it. That's right. And building that audience often does revolve around just blog posts, podcast episodes, videos. Just, yeah. Well, I mean, music has the same issue now that, you know, bloggers had or you know, content creators had 10 years ago. I mean, if you look at Perez Hilton, when he was doing three posts a day, he went, mm-hmm. he went to 15 posts a day because I've, already, I've read that. So now I'm going to go to TMZ or, you know, whatever uh, salacious outlet was, uh, was putting out content at the time. So uh, music now has the same issue, right? Is, oh, well, okay, I can work two years on a 12 song album and then I'll wait two years to put out another album. That doesn't work. I mean, no. it's, it, I need content again the next, you know, three months or six to eight weeks or whatever that looks like for I me. Mean, it's also difficult from a creator because some people just aren't, aren't that prolific. It's difficult to, <laughs> it's difficult to write a song and record a song. And put, so, but it's the same issue. We're all having that same issue is how do you continue to put out music? Early days of streaming promotions, we saw, we kind of modeled our framework after what we saw Drake doing about three years ago, which was an EP every three months. Um, he would, release an EP and his monthly listener number count would go up and then it would kind of flatline over a couple of weeks and right before it would start to dip he would release another EP and it would shoot back up again so um, Chainsmokers was another Chainsmokers was putting out a single or a remix every 21 to 28 days and their monthly listener number just like it never leveled out it just, just kept it just kept climbing and kept growing now depending on what you think about Chainsmokers some of that was derivative itself um, and they're not doing that anymore it's hard to created at that um at that rate oh yeah it really is and i think you're sort of hinting at the fact too that some artists are perfectionists some artists want the sound to be a certain way you know we're not in those days anymore but like bands like boston who spent three years five years six years right i mean we're just not gonna yeah we're just not gonna hear like another album like pet sounds like if somebody's gonna get to a place and just be like it's good enough put it out (laughs) like no one's gonna go back and do the the sixth overdub to like, you know, it's just not going to happen. There were, there's a demand for the content. So it's, it's imperative to the artist to feed his, to feed his audience, uh, his or her audience. Yeah. Just ship it as it were. But I mean, yep. something I often share with my community too, is just those 90 day goals are so important and good to have, whether it's launching a new product, creating a new content channel, going on a new social media channel, Whatever it is you choose, having those 90-day goals can help you really propel things forward. Uh, It's not too long of a goal, and it's not too short of a goal. It's kind of just right. Sure, you can see the finish line. At least it gives gives you some actionable, you know, some, some actionable items. Sure. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time and generosity, Michael. Is there anything else I should have asked? I don't know. Um, I can't think of anything that should have been asked. I mean, honestly, our our goal is just to really be there as you know a conduit to growth and uh, and and really focusing on that monthly listener number um, and trying to grow it as large as possible. That's that's us. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. 
Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.